0: hello, Commander. Looks like someone got some sleep. You do seem better. I am. Thank you. I just surprised the Captain of our new circumstances. Well, how did you do that? Discovery's not supposed to be in comm range right now. A simple modification. I altered the frequency of my communicator, linking it to the planet's transmitter. It boosted the signal sufficiently. Our new friend was okay with that? The Pavan's are incredibly hospitable. They will grant us anything we want. So you're saying we have permission to complete our mission as planned? Some parameters of the mission have changed. I require your communicators. Thank you so very much. What are you doing? do not be alarmed. These are no longer necessary. The Pavan's have invited us to remain here with them. We can't do that, Commander. In time, you will experience this world as I do. You must remain open to it. Even your limited sensory abilities will improve eventually. Saru, something has happened to you. You are not thinking clearly. Not at all. The Pavan's have found a way to exist in perfect balance and absolute harmony with their world. They have already achieved everything we say we seek through our exploratory and diplomatic efforts the only answers we require for the advancement of all species is here and it's ours for the taking
1: Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray and tonight we're going to be talking about the 8th episode of Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. Which was titled, and forgive me if I mispronounce my Latin... C.V. Pacum Parabellum, and it was written by Kristen Baer and directed by John S. Scott. Uh, Rick couldn't be here tonight, but I'm joined by a couple of our favorite frequent guests. Uh, First is my co-host on another show that we do called Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast, Mr. John Irons. How are you, sir?
3: I'm well. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing great. Doing great. And also with us is Mr. Scott Madison. How are you, Scott?
3: Well, if you're
4: trying to get some of your favorite guests on this show, then I think you made a mistake. You must have been trying to get Richard. Sorry, you got me instead.
2: And uh, and our guest tonight is a guy that I know from the local Birmingham area convention circuit. He's been a guest on both uh, Cosmic Potato and he's been on the Prime Direction, Mr. Jeff Shackelford. How are you, sir?
5: I'm doing great. Living long and prospering. <laughs>
2: Jeff, have you been enjoying uh, Star Trek Discovery?
5: Uh, yeah, very much so. It's a, it's a great new world. Uh, so uh, I told you when I was on the Prime uh, Direction that I was excited that uh, for another Star Trek series. And it's here. So uh, any Star Trek is better than none. But this one is exceeding my expectations so far.
2: Well, I thought that we would start the show out a little bit different this week. Uh, Because one thing that we do a lot over at Cosmic Potato is that we play a game at the beginning of the show. And uh, one of our favorite games to play is Um, Actually. So I thought we'd play a Discovery-themed version of Um, Actually uh, Wow. to to start out. Um, Now, how it works is... Scott and John, I know you guys know. Jeff, uh, I don't know if you've ever played Um, actually, but the way it works is that I'm going to give a piece of information about Discovery to the three of you guys. And that information that I give you is going to be wrong in some way. There's going to be something about the sentence that I say that's going to be wrong. And your job is to figure out what it is that I said that was wrong and the right piece of information for that sentence. If you know the answer... Then you'll say your name, which will be kind of like buzzing in. And if you uh, if you're the first one to say your name and I call on you, then you'll have a chance to be able to correct what I said. And if you get it right, then you'll get the point. Now we're using Skype, so <laughs> you may say you may say your name first, and I may hear someone else first. <laughs> so whoever I call on is who I heard first. Okay, so uh, just to, just to be fair.
4: Actual um, buzzer results may vary.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so all these questions, I'm, I'm going to have ten questions, and they all have to do with Star Trek Discovery in some form or another. And, I mean, some of them are pretty easy, some of them are a little bit tougher than others. But, okay, number one. John. <laughs> Go ahead, John. <laughs> if you get it wrong, you get 500 points.
3: <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> never mind
2: <laughs> let me write all your names down on this piece of paper before i forget john Jeff, <laughs> scott. okay uh number one michael burnham was adopted when she was young by vulcan ambassador Sarek and raised as a younger stepsister to spock scott john. i think it was scott first
4: um actually sean she was raised as a ward of Sarek, not as a uh, uh, stepsister.
2: <laughs> you know what? I will accept that because that is correct. The actual answer that I had was that uh, Michael is actually older than Spock. She's uh, she's quite a, uh, she's quite a bit older uh, than Spock. But, I was gonna uh, say
3: the same thing as Scott. So yeah.
2: Well, I mean that works. Oh, and <laughs> Jeff, I forgot to tell you when you when you when you buzz in, if I call on you, you have to start your sentence with, um, actually. <laughs> All right. Okay. Number 2. Uh this is the first Star Trek TV series to air since Enterprise went off the air in 2006.
5: Boom 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 boom. boom. Jeff. Um actually this is the first Star Trek series to air since Enterprise went off the air, but I'm going to say it didn't go off the air in 06.
2: You have to... You,
5: just making a random guess.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, you have to tell me the correct answer. You can't... Just, I'm going to say it went off. Go gosh, ahead.
5: Gosh, I get my ears confused. I'm going to say it went off the air in 03.
2: No, nah, that's wrong. You got the right piece of um, information, but... John.
5: Uh, go ahead, John.
3: Um, Actually, it went off the air in 05. That is correct. It did go off in 05.
2: Okay, number three. Uh, this is the first Star Trek series in which the main character is not a captain. Instead, we follow Commander Michael Burnham. John. John?
3: Um, actually, she, her rank is not Commander. I believe she's Lieutenant Commander?
2: That is correct.
4: Scott. <laughs> Scott? <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, John, after the pilot episode, she no longer holds a rank.
2: Yeah, yeah, she she's she's also specialist. Kirk. She's specialist Michael Burnham. But I believe in the first episode, even though she was the first officer of the ship, I think she was a lieutenant commander. So, um, now Rick's probably listening to this episode right now, and he's saying, "No, that's wrong.
1: <laughs> that's wrong."
2: Um, okay, number four. When Saru asked the computer to list the best captains in Starfleet, the list includes Captain Archer, Captain Pike. Captain Kirk, Captain Decker, and Captain Giorgio Scott. Scott.
4: Um, actually, Captain Kirk was not included in the list. It was Robert April.
2: That is correct. Nice. All right. Uh, right now, John has two. Scott has two. Jeff, you have zero.
5: I really stink in Star Trek trivia. <laughs> it, but. All right.
2: Uh, number five. Captain Lorca has a triple on his desk. Of course, we were first introduced to that species in the, the original series episode "More Tribbles, More Troubles."
3: <laughs> Scott, <John>. <laughs> Scott,
4: <laughs> um, actually, "More Tribbles, More Troubles" was the episode of the animated series with Tribbles. The TOS episode was "The Trouble with Tribbles."
2: That is correct. All right, number six, Harcourt <laughs> Fenton Mud is played by Rain Wilson. He is best known for his role in The Office, where he plays Dwight Schultz.
4: Scott. (laughs) Scott. (laughs) Um, Actually, it is Dwight Schrute. Yes. Not Dwight Schultz. Dwight Dwight Schultz. Um, Actually, Dwight Schultz played... (laughs) Uh, Lieutenant Reginald Barkley yes. on Star Trek The yes. Next Generation oh, nice. and Star Trek Voyager.
2: And Mad Dog Murdoch on the at and Mad Dog Murdoch, <laughs> yeah.
4: But that's not Star Trek, so yeah. who cares?
2: <laughs> well, neither is the office, but... Okay. <laughs> um, number seven. The fan theory that the Klingons would somehow reanimate Georgeau's, uh corpse was shut down quickly when it was revealed that the Klingons blew her body out of an airlock. John. Scott. <laughs> oh. it, was, it was John.
3: Um, actually, <laughs> I suppose blowing it out of an airlock might be an euphemism, but in fact, they consumed her. They correct. ate her body.
2: They slid the meat from her skull. <laughs> <laughs> her okay. smooth human skull. That's right. Uh, number eight, uh, James Frayne portrays Sarek, a role originally played by Mike Leonard. Scott. Scott.
4: Um, actually, it was Mark Leonard. Not Mike Lennon.
2: That is correct.
4: Yeah. I'm not gonna hit, get any of that.
5: There's one I actually like knew, but then it buzzed in time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got two more. Number nine, the design of the USS Discovery closely resembles some concept art originally pitched for Star Trek the Next Generation. Scott. Scott.
4: Um, actually it was not pitched for the next generation. It was pitched for Star Trek Phase Two, the aborted um, follow-up TV series.
2: That is correct. I also would have accepted Star Trek: The Motion Picture because they tried to recycle the uh, the concept art mm. for the movie. Um, number ten. That's the last one. Before becoming executive producer on Star Trek: Discovery, Gene Roddenberry's son Rod Roddenberry worked as a production assistant on the rebooted Star Trek movie. John. John. False.
4: It's <laughs> <laughs> a half step from what I was going to go
3: with. <laughs> um, actually, no, um, he didn't. <laughs> I, um, uh, the, can you repeat the question, please? Or the statement? Before becoming
2: executive producer on Star Trek Discovery, Gene Roddenberry's son, Rod Roddenberry, worked as a production assistant on the rebooted Star Trek movie.
3: Okay. Okay. I believe his name is not Rod, but I can't remember. What is it?
2: No, nope, that's incorrect. <sighs> his name is Rod. Okay, then I don't know. Scott. <laughs> Scott.
4: Um, I'll phrase this like I'm sure, but I'm not. Um, actually, he was credited as an executive producer, not production assistant.
2: No, that's not. That's not right either. <laughs> Jeff, you want to try?
5: Um, actually, he was working on Star Trek Enterprise just a guess.
2: Not yet. That was a good guess. He, he he was actually a production assistant on Star Trek The Next Generation. Ah, uh, so close. So, Alright, so uh, John had three, Jeff had zero, Scott had six. So wow. Scott, Scott wins the first Woo! the first uh, game for the Simply Syndicated Discovery After Show. Congratulations, you win our adoring affection.
4: This, this gives me more pride than I feel comfortable having right now. <laughs> <laughs> The night
3: is young
2: <laughs> what did, what did what did you guys think about episode 8 I start with uh, Jeff since hes our, our first-time guest tonight
5: it wasn't my favorite episode that's been on yet it felt very much like an original series episode uh, I, I, and I just watched it tonight actually um actually there uh, there you go but uh, it uh, I read there was a lot of parallels between uh, and the name escapes me at the moment uh, that actually involved the Klingons, but it felt like an original series episode. Uh, but it, it it just wasn't my favorite episode. It was kind of a hot mess at times. I thought, but uh, I don't want to. I don't want to come across as too critical of my only appearance here because I'm a big fan of the show.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah I mean uh, their show or our show.
5: Uh, no, their show. This is a this is a great show. Uh, both. Uh, well, this is a great podcast mm-hmm. and Discovery is a great show, but. It was probably my least favorite of the uh, series so far.
2: Okay, well that's fair. That's fair, uh, Scott. Now I know you had problems with last week's episode. You sent us a audio <laughs> commentary. And you didn't. You didn't. You didn't care for last week's episode very much. What? And and one of the things that you had a problem with was one of the things that I also had a problem with last week was that they they kind of left the whole uh, Admiral Cornwell uh, story alone. Suddenly, for no reason, to go mm-hmm. through the the time loop episode they pick it back up here so what did, what did you think of this episode overall uh,
4: uh overall it it gives, it gave me a mix of feelings um I think I can safely say that I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed magic to make the sanest man go mad but um it felt a bit a bit up and down um like the show was Teasing me with the notion that it was going to explain some things and flesh some things out. And then in a flash, it's, you know, that that tease is over. They're not giving you nearly as much as you thought they were going to. And they're moving on to other things. It felt like the shortest episode we've gotten so far. And I know that the shows are essentially, you know, the same length. Every one of them, but this one felt like it went by a lot faster than the others. Um, like it was really at a at a Saru style run all the way through. Um, you know, to are you to saying know that that's a plus or a minus? It, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that uh, I have a positive or negative feeling about the the feeling of the pacing. But it was just noticeable to me that it was that it was going really quick. Um if I had to pick one I'd say it might be a bit of a negative because I would like for all these episodes to feel like they're taking their time and really laying things out clearly but for example the uh admiral abduction aspect of the episode um I I didn't feel like they were and maybe this was intentional they might have done this you know uh absolutely on purpose but it felt like we were never given a clear indication of what anyone was planning. Like by the end of the episode was Laurel actually considering defecting? Was it all part of a, a, long game? Um, uh, did she end up having, uh, Cole exactly where she wanted him or was she about to lose big time and get killed? I, I, I don't know. They've kept her such a mystery that we don't know what she plans They're not letting us into her mind to know what her intentions are. And then by the end of the episode, we don't know who's winning, her or Cole. And I also really don't know if the Admiral is uh, actually dead or going to wake up in that that pile of morgue.
2: Spoilers!
4: No,
5: I'm kidding. (laughs) I think that ship sailed. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with. I,
4: agree I think with that's that sarcophagus is sailed. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think if anybody's listening to this and they haven't seen the episode yet, then they're, they they deserve to be spoiled because it's an after show for a reason. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I noticed the 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 time thing too because it got to be about five minutes before the end of the episode, and for some reason, I had in my head that I was only halfway through the episode. And then I kind of I, I was watching on a computer, so I moved my mouse to see where the time was, and oh, the show's almost over, you know. So, but I took it I took that in my mind to mean that's a good thing because I'm so wrapped up in this episode that I didn't realize how quickly the time went by. It was an episode that so much happened, and yet not very much happened at all, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: because, like you said, we we're left with almost as many questions as we had. When we came into the episode, which I know this is, we're not at the end of the season yet, and this is the penultimate episode for the fall. You know, we have one more episode, which I'm assuming we're going to get some answers in that episode, but probably going to get a big cliffhanger as well. But, yeah, I, th-
4: they're, they're going to throw a lot at us next week. Yeah. Uh, and then everyone's just going to be, you know, really clawing at the walls to get to the mid-season premiere um, right. on the other side of of the new year, which that's just that's the landscape of modern television. That's how they do it now. If yeah. you don't get a se- you don't get a season a year. You get two seasons a year, and they're smaller. Yeah, basically. and they get you right up to the point where they're hitting their stride in a season, and then they say, "Okay, hold on for a couple months, and we'll give you some more later." Why I don't know. I well, still I, haven't understood it. But...
2: I, I kind of understand when you're talking about a fall finale. And uh, and coming back in January because not as many people are watching t- television over the holidays because they've got so much going on with shopping and family outings and and gatherings and all that kind of stuff that they're afraid you know that their numbers will go down. So it's it's a safe bet to pause at the end of or at the beginning or middle of November and then come back in January when everybody's uh, done with Christmas and and all that kind of stuff and uh and can devote their attention back to the show so i kind of understand it i I don't like it i'd rather just have all the shows but i i I understand a little bit of why they do
5: it plus you know i know a lot of people that love the show but are just really behind on it and i'm just wondering if they're not going to get caught up over the holidays and maybe that's the intention there's people like Mm. us that can't wait to see the new episode every single week but I think at the end of the day, maybe that's like okay over the holidays they can get caught up. Then we'll hit them with the new uh,
3: new season or
5: mid-season premiere, rather.
3: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. sign up for sign up sign up for their free week, and then just binge up to the point that we're at. Yeah, binge
2: these uh, eight nine episodes. Yeah,
4: and honestly, I think that the the real reason for a a break in a TV production season probably comes down to um, the cast and crew. Wanting a break rather than making the entire season of television, you know, in one go just at a straight run. They come in, they make a bunch of episodes, then they get some time off. And then once the uh, uh, once the season takes its break, they have a little bit of time. To take in, you know, all the feedback they've gotten on the first half of the season, that will help to inform at least where the end of the season goes. They might have already begun production on the the second half of the season before they get to the before they get to the break.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think they're done because I remember watching After Trek during the um, after the premiere, and uh, somebody said they were going to start filming episode fifteen the next day. And this was right after episode two had just aired, so I think by now they're they're done with the season. They, I mean, there, there's probably some editing and, and that kind of stuff going on, but as far as principal photography, I think all that's finished.
4: Hmm. But well, then I got nothing.
2: <laughs> okay, uh, first thing I noticed in this episode is that there was no teaser. We got we got uh, previously on Star Trek Discovery, and they showed us a bunch of scenes, and then went straight in the opening credits. You well, know. they did that last week too. Oh, did they? I didn't. I didn't yeah. notice it yeah. last week. I they did. did. Notice hey. it this week.
4: yeah, I want to jump in here for a second, Sean. Did, did we skip over John and his thoughts on this episode? I think we probably ta- did. Talking I think about we probably the did. <laughs> the break in production in modern TV. <laughs> yeah,
3: oh, yeah, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um,
4: That's why yeah, I'm here, John. I'm here to help you.
3: Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, actually I, I agree actually with a lot of the points that, uh, excuse me, that they made. Um, it wasn't, I liked the episode, uh, but it wasn't, and it did feel like a very TOS episode for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it, it was reminiscent of, um, and I, I think I know the episode that you're talking about, Rick would know, but the one where, um, uh, they go, he, they, Kirk and the uh, Klingons go to another planet and they're both trying to convince the people of the planet that, you know, to be on their side. Like, no, nah, we're good. Yeah. And, um, you know, spoiler, <laughs> they the aliens won't let them fight. Um, yeah, that, w- that would be
4: the original series episode, Errand of Mercy. And I was definitely, it, right? I was thinking of that this entire episode. I kept wondering, okay, are they going to tell us these are the Organians or, or not? Because... I thought that we dealt with this in the original series when they stopped the war. Now we have another super powerful non-corporeal species that's going to bring the Federation of the Klingons together and stop their war ten years before they stop their war.
3: What? <laughs> I, I think I uh, I've seen all the episodes of the original series, I've seen all the Next Generation and some Enterprise and some Voyager. Uh, so I, uh, in a lot of ways I feel like I'm I'm Blissfully um, <laughs> unburdened by the uh, by the weight of the canon, so like uh, I mean, I, I obviously I'll see ref, and and it's kind of and I kind of give them not a total pass, but something of a pass because I mean, there's just so much Star Trek, it you know it it's tough for them to not touch on something that's already been done, especially if they're doing a prequel. Um, I I think I've all in line with Sean in, in terms of the pacing. It did seem to go quickly, but that's because I was enjoying it. You know, it was, it, was, it was beautiful to look at. The story was interesting. And I think the biggest issue I, I had with it, I guess, is the, uh, it's, it's kind of just built into, um, built into the, the mix of this show Wherein if you are telling a season long story, you know you don't get that satisfaction that we had last week or um, mm. you know the, the what is it the the blade the knife care is not for the sheep's cry or whatever
0: but yeah, basically
3: yeah. A, a, a fairly self-contained story where you get that sense of resolution after 48 minutes um, I didn't realize how much I missed that until they stopped mm. giving it to me like. <laughs> You know, but but I've been I've been kind of like I've been binging DS9 again on Netflix, and it is like you know you get you get the you get the problem, you know you get the explanation and they they wrap it up they wrap and even if there are threads of things before and things after, and even if it's a two-parter, it's a self-contained story and there is something to be said for that um, uh, that sense of resolution that you're just denied on this show. And so you just kind of kind of hope that, you know, you're putting all your eggs in the season finale basket. Um, So it's it's not like I didn't like the episode. I did like the episode. And a lot of the questions, I guess, that you had, Scott, I didn't really have a problem with necessarily. I don't need to know where Laurel is now. She's playing somebody and I'm fine with that because she's, you know, she's mysterious and crafty and duplicitous and, you know, that'll come out in the wash. I'm not, I'm not that worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as what happened to the Admiral, I presume we'll, we'll see that next week. So, I'm, you know, if you, I'm basically thinking of this as, you know, part one of it, they just didn't say to be continued at the end. Yeah. You know, I'm, 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 I'm expecting a lot of those questions um, to be resolved
2: yeah, I'm, I'm uh, looking week. at it as kind of a, kind of the template that shows like Breaking Bad started, where it, it's like a never ending story until you get to the series finale. You know, uh, I don't think Star Trek is going to be that way. I think Star Trek is going to be more of a season by season. I think that they're going to wrap everything up by the end of the season, and then do kind of like what the Flash does. You know, the Flash has a storyline that goes through the entire season. And then they wrap it up in the finale, and then they have something happen at the end of the episode that gives you a cliffhanger for the next season. And I think that's probably what Discovery's going to do.
3: That's, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Um, since I kind of have the floor, I probably should have just done this. Let me, you want my uh, Discovery episode summary?
4: Yeah. Alright. We should uh, probably leave with that next time. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so there's a show, right? It takes place on a ship. <laughs>
0: right.
3: It takes place in outer space, man. <laughs> it's far out, dude. <laughs> um, Alright. We hope to learn more about Saru this episode. And what we've learned is that he's a closet badass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in C V S Paysom Parabellum, Close enough. Uh, Discovery crew members finally touch down on a planet. Saru, Burnham, and Ash land on Pavo in an attempt to use the planet's natural resonance to create a kind of sonar, which will allow them to see the ever-growing threat of cloaked Klingon ships.
2: Let me interject here that whenever okay. they said the name of the planet, I was thinking about the disease that dogs get. <laughs> <Park Yes>. oh.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: that occurred to me as well. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, it turns out that this quote-unquote uninhabited planet is, in fact, habited with sparkly green ephemeral entities that just want everyone to get along. Saru goes into first contact mode, but inadvertently makes a genie wish. Uh, by which I mean that kind of wish where you get the thing that you asked for, but not the thing that you wanted. He asks the Pavo or pavians, or the green glitter folk, whatever, he asks the glitter folk for a moment's (laughs) peace. Yeah, for a moment's peace. And though he's referring to the sound that the planet constantly emits, they interpret that as removing the constant state of fear that he, like all of his people, experience. At which point, Saru drinks from the psionic Kool-Aid and gets a mild case of Dr. Sorinitis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Next thing you know, Saru tries to teach his friends to sing in perfect harmony, But they refuse, because they don't choose to keep him company. (laughs) And that...
4: He's on fire.
3: (laughs) And that is when Saru releases his secret badass. Meanwhile, on the Klingon death ship, Lorel encounters and interrogates Admiral Cornwell. Uh, Spoiler, uh, they both acted their asses off. Uh, There there were twists and turns, which we'll go into later, but I'll say that for the first time on the show, I'm actually more interested in what's happening on the Klingon ship than what's happening on Discovery. Uh, fortunately, it looks like all the storylines will be converging next week, along with possibly some other universes. But before the episode is over, Burnham will make her own genie wish of the Pavo, wherein she asks for their help with the Klingons, and she too gets what she asked for, but not what she wanted, mm-hmm. which sets the stage nicely for next week's mid season mid season finale. Overall, I think they've done an impressive job this season, and here's hoping that they stick the landing.
2: All right, so we've had we've had a couple of Klingon light episodes. But the Klingons are back this week. And there's a battle raging from the very beginning. The USS uh, Gregarin? Is that right? Gre, uh, uh. Yeah. yeah. I, assume based
4: I, on I think it's Gagarin. I don't think there's an R at the beginning. I think it's named after cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin.
2: Okay. Right. And so that ship is lost in the battle along with two others. Because Cole is handing out cloaking technology to any Klingon house that will give him... Uh, their loyalty. Uh, hey, Jeff, what have you what have you thought about the Klingons so far in, in Discovery?
5: I love them. I think they're I think they're great. Uh, it's we're seeing a new story emerge, kind of with them. Uh, I, I've always been obsessed with the Klingons. I they, they're the great uh, they're a great adversary of the Federation, and so uh, I love the makeup, love the special effects, love. Love the language uh, and really just love the divisiveness of this uh, of them. Um, You know, for years we always had this kind of cold war with the Klingons that finally got resolved. And what what was it? uh, The undiscovered country. Right. And then it was like happy peace Klingons. But uh, it's good to go back to the time to see them when they're kind of uh, fighting with everyone, fighting with us, fighting within. So uh, been great to see them again. I, I think that's been a common complaint amongst some fans that in the reboots we haven't gotten enough Klingons. Would y'all agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it.
2: yes, I agree. <laughs> um, so say we all. Yeah. So they use the Spore Drive. They jump in. They try to. They try to save the the, the ships that are being attacked. They fail, and they use the spore drive, and jump back out again. Stamets is not Dr. Feelgood anymore. The, <laughs> the, the spore drive is kind of wearing on him. Uh, he comes out of the spore drive after the la- after that last jump, and he, he looks at Tilly and says, Captain, what are you doing down here? So, I'm kind of wondering, is he seeing shadows of the future? Did he see that the captain was going to be in engineering? Uh, or... What did you guys think of that?
5: That's exactly what I thought, Sean. Because uh, didn't she at some point previously in the series make reference that she really wants to be a captain?
3: Yes, yeah, first yeah, episode.
5: and and well. that's exact. That was my initial takeaway. Was he somehow went in the future and saw the future, or something? It was like future self came back in him just for a minute or something. He's getting his temporal time confused or something. That was my immediate thought.
2: Yeah. Cause we know that we know that he's out of sync with time anyway, because we've seen his mirror reflection doing whatever it wants to do. <laughs> and then he was, he was in the middle of all the stuff that happened last week. So we know that there's something weird timey wimey going on with him anyway. So it, it would not surprise me if he is seeing shadows of stuff that hasn't happened yet. Now, If he can see things that are actually going to matter other than just the the future of who's going to walk into the room, (laughs) you know, it would help.
3: (laughs) Well, time echoes is one possibility. There is a I'm going to I'm going to redefine a spoiler here uh, because I'm going to say the event, but I'm not going to say what the pizza literature is. (laughs) But there's a sci fi book that I enjoy. And, um, basically this team of scientists builds, um, a little teleport portal. Um, and they discover later that they're not actually teleporting from one end of the room to the other or from one building to the other. They're, they've made a portal to like nearby alternate earths, alternate realities. So one person goes in at the exact same moment that their double goes in in some alternate Earth, and so their double comes out here. And everything about them is the same, except, you know, slightly different. This, maybe, you know, maybe you were salutatorian instead of valedictorian. You know, maybe you like mustard instead of ketchup, whatever.
4: Maybe you won the Batleth tournament or you got ninth place.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and the more they do it, the farther away from our earth they travel. Does that make sense? so like the like initially the changes will be small. The more you do it the the more distant version of yourself there may be. so that was kind of in the back of my head when they basically teleport their ship, you know what if? Um, they're not necessarily teleporting in the same space. Maybe their ship is moving slightly one dimension over. I don't think that's the case, but I really don't think that's the case. But I I couldn't get it out of my head, that that theory. Um, So, Well, in short, it may be a time thing, or it may be a... And I don't want to use the M word, but... It could be an M word thing.
4: Mirror. I'm not sure anyone knows what M word you're talking about. <laughs> the mirror,
3: the m- mirror, mirror universe.
4: I know that everyone has had their ears very much glued to the ground ever since Frakes said something about a mirror episode, and I think everyone is looking for the indications of this, you know, mysterious mirror episode that Frakes is talking about. And I think that's just going to serve as unnecessary distraction if everyone keeps on looking for the evidence that points to the mirror universe yeah. coming into play here. I've been trying to avoid doing that myself. Though I, if, if discovery was rather than jumping from place to place, but jumping to uh, different alternate realities, it would definitely make it very easy to explain why a spore hub drive has never been mentioned or even considered as a possibility in any other Trek series. You would think that if anyone knew about this technology, worse situations, like say, for example, oh, look, our ship is stranded and the engines are down, we can't go anywhere, and there's a Borg cube heading directly for Earth. If only we had a Spore Hub drive, someone would at least say those (laughs) words. They don't have to make one and use one, but they could at least say, hey, remember 100 years ago when we had a Spore Hub drive? Man, that would come in handy right now, wouldn't it? But no one ever says that. This is one of the drawbacks of doing a prequel, is no matter what cool stuff you come up with, you can't let it stick around or else people wonder why it didn't come into play later on in the timeline.
3: Unless it's just all top secret stuff. Like I can, again, if if, you're, if they're like, if, you know, if this is, you know, the James Bond example, Q makes all sorts of great shit. But that doesn't mean that, you know, every, every member, every cop or every agent has it. It exists. It's mm-hmm. just not distributed
4: true but even then if we're going to go with the go the james bond route then i can i can match it for that and say that um you know it would be really great if someone could strike a killing blow to the dominion so we can end this war in deep space nine yeah A, a, a spore hub drive would would really come in handy and that is what section 31 would say
3: yeah yeah, I'm assuming that the spore drive at some point becomes t- too dangerous to use. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, my wife had a,
2: had an interesting uh, uh, thought. What if every time that Stamets uses the spore drive, part of him is getting left behind? You know, uh, a piece of him is getting left in other timelines or whatever so mm. and, and that maybe that's what happened to the tardigrade maybe that's why the tardigrade was becoming weaker and weaker and weaker and maybe that's what's happening to, to Stamets only he's able to vocalize what's happening to him because he's not an animal mm. yes I just told him what your theory was and that's the case Oh, she says that if that's the case, then eventually maybe he could connect all the pieces of himself, and he could know everything in the
4: universe. <laughs> and then he becomes cute.
2: Wow. Right. Yeah. And then he becomes cute. Scott said. <laughs> I like <Q>. you.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this, now the only reason um, when he came out of the spore chamber. And said, Captain, what are you doing here? The only reason I suspected—I wonder if he's seeing, you know, future Tilly—is because someone on Twitter had said something about Captain Tilly. Blah 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 blah. And I know that's the only reason that I thought of that. I think what is equally likely, if not more likely, is that in the next episode, could we saw from the, you know, next week on the mid-season finale, um, we can see that. Uh, Discovery is going to be jumping a lot next week. Yeah, um, as they do battle with the with the ship of the dead, they're going to be doing a lot of jumping uh, during that fight. And I suspect there's going to be one point where Captain Lorca goes down to engineering, and Stamets will come out of the chamber and see him and say that exact same thing. And that's when we're going to put together that he he was perceiving the future, but not you know years later Captain Tilly future, but like mm-hmm. hours or days later, Captain Lorca. I like that better.
3: Yeah, yeah that's good. That.
2: Well, Michael Burnham, Ash, and Saru walk into a bar. No, they, <laughs> they go to they go to Pavo, uh, which has a a crystal tower that acts as a transmitter, and they think that they can use this transmitter to be able to find cloaked uh, Klingon ships. They make contact. I can, I'll call them the fireflies. They make contact with the fireflies. <laughs> and uh, they have to they have to follow first contact protocols since they made their presence known before they can use the transmitter. They, ha- they can't use the transmitter without permission, uh, according to this protocol. So, Michael Burnham is explaining all of this to Ash. My question is, if Ash is a Starfleet officer, why is Michael Burnham having to explain protocol to him? <laughs>
3: uh, I was fine with that. I was fine with that. Because he
2: actually he actually outranks her, so he should know as much about protocol as she does.
3: <laughs> well, kind of.
2: I know they I know they have to tell the audience. But, they have to tell the audience what they're. Going yeah,
3: about, but, they're, but I I would expect that she would be more familiar. And and yes, they're mainly to tell the audience. But you know, she would be more familiar on a science slash exploration vessel as she has been than he would have been as you know military. They're not doing a lot of, you know, the same way that he would have to explain, um, you know, a military procedure that she might not be, you know, she probably read it, you know, in Starfleet Academy, you know, she passed the test, but that was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
4: And we've seen it up and down Star Trek in, in all the series. There are some officers who are smarter in some areas than they are in others. And, uh, Michael is going to be smarter in not only the science areas but also in the diplomacy areas uh, from her time as as an XO. Because I, yes, you know technically Tyler outranks her right now, but you know six seven months ago she outranked him as a lieutenant commander and an XO. Um, her specialty is going to be science and diplomacy and command. Being an XO, his specialty is making things dead. <laughs> so. So he, and he'll know all about the you know, proper Starfleet procedure when it comes to making things dead, but not necessarily first contact. It's not his specialty, and she is much more well versed in that. Or maybe, or maybe he's a Klingon. We don't know. There were shots in this episode <laughs> where it seemed clearer than it did before that okay. Um, um, oh, oh, come on. Um, uh, the actor who plays um, Tyler. What's uh, his name? Is it Sh- Shazad Latif
3: yeah, right like that. yeah
4: um the, he held his face at a certain angle and his mouth was kind of hanging open a little bit at a certain angle <laughs> and it looked very much okay that looks a little bit like like vok a little bit a little bit um so whether they're the same person or not, it's becoming more and more clear, especially with this whole um Javid Iqbal uh debacle on Twitter and IMDb it's becoming fairly obvious to me that it's it, it's obviously the same actor who plays both characters now whether those characters are the same person or not has yet to be revealed but it's got to be the same actor
2: yeah and um, if they want if they if they were going in that direction if they're going to say that that ash um is uh, uh what's his name Todd Ta- Vok. Vok. If uh, if they're wanting to say that they're one and the same, then that would explain why Laurel was trying to get herself taken prisoner and brought back to the Discovery or whatever mm-hmm. she wants to get the band yeah, back. Yeah, or, or
4: what, whatever <laughs> her plan was, it, it would definitely inform that because they have to be yeah they they have to be you know working the same plan from two different directions. Um, and it's very conspicuous that she took. Valk to meet, you know, whatever the, the elder sisters of her house or whatever, whoever they, they were, however they were described. And we haven't seen him since. Just, yeah. He just disappeared. So it's got yeah, to play into that, that somehow.
2: Now, I, I, she mentioned him in this episode. Right. She said that he he ran away or something. He, 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 was, he was chased <laughs> he away. He was chased away. Yeah. Right. He was
4: chased away. Now, speaking of Laurel, I want to ask you guys something. I don't, I, I might have either missed the episode where you guys talked about this, or I might have um, missed a mention of it. But uh, rewind a couple episodes to um, the first episode where we meet Harry Mudd and where we meet Lieutenant Tyler. Uh-huh.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: When we're on that Klingon ship and that female Klingon commanding officer comes out and she and Tyler have a brawl in the hallway and Lorca shoots the wall and it splashes her face and... Ah! Uh,
2: that was her. That was Laurel, Yeah.
4: I didn't know that at the time. I thought that was a different Klingon female who was in charge of that ship. I did not. I didn't realize yeah, it I, was Laurel. Did any? Did anyone yeah, else any. know it was her, or am I the only one? The,
3: the only reason I knew was because I typically watch with the closed caption on. Because oh, and, uh,
4: and it, it labels the 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 person who's talking, doesn't it?
3: Yes. Yeah. But I like just just on my own. Um, by my own devices, I did not realize that it was her until. That's a good ones,
5: observation. Right until there. she got
3: shot, yeah. <laughs> and for for the record, when 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 Tyler speaks, it does not say Valk in the closed captions. <laughs> <laughs> so they they cover t- think... t- that base.
2: I think that she said her name, or somebody said her name at some point in the episode. But I also think that the act, that the actress that plays her was on after track afterwards. Well, I'm I was talking. Yeah, about I, so, I'm
3: sure that she looked exactly the same. You know, and and, yeah. and I guess they were expecting the audience to recognize her, but we haven't seen. You know, we we saw a bunch of Klingons the first two episodes, and then we didn't really see any, and then we saw her. So. You know, well, that was the
2: that was the one thing that kind of, that kind of made me think that maybe there might be something to this whole Ash Vok thing was because Ash was saying that this female Klingon had a thing for her, you know, and 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 obviously she showed that she does have a thing for him, and um, and then of course they escaped and we haven't seen Vok since, so. Uh,
3: well, I mean, there is okay. there is certainly plenty of evidence to support the the theory, but
2: I and it's probably pla- it's probably being placed there to throw us off of another trail.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'll, w- I'll wait. I'll wait for the reveal that they decided to get really crazy, and the mirror universe version of Vok is Tyler. <laughs> yeah, he's the he one person in the, in the universe. <laughs> Right, the the one person in the universe where his his uh, mirror universe doppelganger is of a different species. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I uh, um, I have to
3: say I am I am loving L'Oreal. She She's she's like this episode. She's moved up to one of my favorite characters because she's she's so perfectly written and perfectly played. You really don't know. It it makes absolute perfect sense that she would defect. Every reason that she gave. Fits, and it also makes absolute perfect sense that she is playing, us and and it is and a trick because all that fits too. I, I I like the smartness of of her character and of the character they've created. If that makes sense. Yeah,
2: yeah. I think I think all of the actors that are playing uh, the main Klingons are doing a great job. I I mean they. They really turn into Klingons when they put that makeup on yeah. and, and start to play those parts. But So since we're talking about Lorel, let's talk about Cornwell. So Admiral Cornwell is in Klingon jail on, on the Klingon ship. And Lorel tells her that she wants to defect and become a, Kling, a, a, a Federation prisoner. And she says that everything that she lives for is gone. And they make a run for it. Uh, to, because Lorel says that she has a ship that they can go to to get back to the Discovery. Uh, when Cole, see, Cole sees him, she, uh, she turns and she beats the crap out of Cornwell.
3: All, awesome improv, by the way. Sir. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she electrocutes her to cover her tracks and she drags her into a room and I guess is like a Klingon morgue. And she finds all these bodies of uh, some Klingon soldiers that Cole has apparently... Executed and she she swears her vengeance against Cole. So is Cornwell dead?
3: I don't think so, but I'm sure we'll come down next
4: episode. Yeah, I I I
2: don't think so. There was
3: nothing yeah, there was but there was nothing
2: there that could tell us one way or the other because the last thing that we see of her is a close up of her unconscious face with blood coming out of her nose. And I'm sh- she's laying. She's laying in the room where the dead bodies go. Apparently, <laughs> this is where we put. Our I'm dead sure people. if
3: I want to get all the brutal film with it, I could like replay it and see if her chest is moving, like if she's breathing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not gonna do that. Well, I, I think <laughs>
4: with, with, with this particular series, I think it's more about what we what we don't see rather than what we see. They have they have not been shy about showing us when people die and how they die. They are. They've definitely upped the violence quotient on this series compared to any other Star Trek that we've ever seen. When someone's dead, they're going to show you that they're dead. Open throats, uh, you know, unspooled people, um, or what, what they call it, uh, they, they spun out. Yeah. On, on, like yeah on. Yeah. On that yeah. other uh, science vessel, where they're like, you know, twisted like silly putty. Um, we got you know, chest cavities are open and whatnot. If if they're dead, you see dead. Cornwell, you see just a person with no clear indication of being dead, which to me says she's going to wake up in the morgue, which is probably one of the last places that someone would look for a living Starfleet officer.
3: Did those bodies, I couldn't tell if they were just killed or if they were fed upon. Like they had big holes in them. (coughs) One of them.
2: Yeah, one of them had like entrails hanging out of it, but that could have just been done with a with a weapon of some kind. Yeah, N- necessarily have to be chewed on by a Klingon dog or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever the Klingons
3: call it. Well, I didn't dog. know if I didn't know if
2: <sighs>
3: eating your enemy applies Klingon to Klingon if that's just for the races. If I defeat mm-hmm. if I defeat my foe in battle. Cause it, what was it like the Incas or something like that? So I don't I don't want to I don't want to get it wrong, but uh, you know, eating the heart of your enemy is supposed to imbue you with power. And I think I remember hearing part of that is as Klingon lore as well.
4: Yeah, well, is- yeah, the, the the Klingons do tend to um, uh, feast upon the. Heart of their enemies, not necessarily eating the whole body like they did with Captain Georgiou. Normally, I think they just you know take out their heart and eat it.
2: Like, well, they were those those Klingons were starving. Yeah. So, oh, you know what? That's that true. That's one reason
3: why. They That's
4: a that. good point. Yeah. I I didn't think of that. Um, and she I was
3: she was uh, exotic, like a delicacy, like they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I was get thinking, a lot of Georgiou.
4: I was thinking more of um, uh, the DS Nine episode Blood Oath, where Kang, Kor, and Koloth along with Jadzia we're going to feast upon the heart of the albino, not eat the albino, but just take out his yeah. heart and all of them were going to eat that. So that's why I was surprised they ate Captain Giorgio. Now, if anyone, be it, um, you know, crew members on the ship of the dead, or if they have, um, you know, a room full of Targs uh, to feast uh-huh. on, on the Klingons that were in that morgue, it's hard to tell. And that is a drawback of the, production design and costume design for these new Klingons. If you put a heap of these Klingons together in a room with the lighting on a Klingon ship, you can't tell what happened because those outfits are so busy. It looks like just a pile of viscera anyway, even when they're standing upright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, um, Lorel talks to Cole and uh, he he has her pledge, her allegiance to House Core. He puts the markings on her face and you can tell that she is uh, trying to get into his favor so that she can exact her revenge. And then he turns the tables and says, now take her out of here and show her what we do with traitors. So I don't know. I didn't, I didn't understand exactly what happened. Does he know that Laurel did not actually kill Cornwell and that they're trying to escape or, I or think- what happened right there?
3: I think he's um, I think he's playing the odds because he saw them in the hallway and they did not look adversarial yeah. before they you know before they they played it up so right. you know either she's trustworthy or she's not and why take the chance I don't think he knows anything but I think he suspects and it's easier to you know assume yeah. assume nefariousness As, especially when
4: you consider the fact that she had hitched her wagon to valk and then you know at the sight of a good meal she flipped on him like a burger so already you can't trust her And, then, and they not, said... not, not only did she flip on valk but literally 10 minutes later she flipped on core or by going back to valk and running away
3: and they they've said that her house is known for deception and lies so yeah she's probably already was watching her closely anyway were you gonna say something Jeff no no I'm no this is this is really good stuff I feel bad I feel I feel like we've I feel like we <laughs> extra like
2: your house. No, I, it sounded like he was about to interject and I just wanted to give him a chance but um, so let's go back to the planet okay um, it seems... At first, that the uh, Fireflies have taken over Saru, and that they're like, I don't know, controlling his mind or whatever, but uh, he's cutting them off from contact with the Discovery, and he says that they're staying, they're not going anywhere, and what we eventually find out is that they actually just calmed Saru, and they took his fear away, and... He's never been one second without fear in his entire life, so that's a big deal for him. So it wasn't mind control; it was just desperation that he didn't want to go back to the way that he uh, that he's felt his entire life. Um, so Ash tells Saru that he wants uh, he wants revenge on the Klingons for his torture. Uh, Saru, <laughs> Saru uses a lie detector crystal. On <laughs> <him>. <laughs> And discovers that he's lying to keep him busy while Michael Burnham uh, tries to get access to the crystal. And they made a good point on After Trek last night that I wanted to bring up. Saru is a Kelpian, which is a prey species. He can run 80, 80 kilometers an hour. And he can apparently crush a communicator in one hand. So I would hate to see the predator from his planet. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they are the prey... <laughs> I'd hate to see what it is that's hunting them down and killing them, but uh, so uh, what? So that was a lot that happened with Saru last night. What did you guys think about all that? that was a lot of character development for him.
5: I, I, I couldn't agree more. It was the uh, you know I said at the beginning of this podcast that I thought this series was kind of a hot mess a little bit, and I think the more I listen to it, the more I'm going to grow to like it, especially watch it, I, watch it again. But uh, this was the best Saru episode by far and away. We really, really got deep into his character, and uh, couldn't agree more. It was uh, it was really interesting, just you know, seeing how he reacted to everything, and it seems like he's really trying to be um, be very proactive in trying to uh, win this war and trying to get on path uh, get on the same path with the what's the name the pa- pa- Pavlovians? Is, am I saying that right? Pavlovians? the um,
2: right. Um, I, I, yes something. Yeah, something like that. Parvo, the Parvo,
5: the Parvo pa- people, Parvo. The, the Parvo people. Yeah, uh, now he's. <laughs> yeah. It seems like he's really trying to just like win this war and be the hero. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I liked uh, I like Saru really a lot in this episode. Really grew to like
3: him very much. I just had a really random thought. Okay, so when he comes back to the tent and he's all lovey dovey and he's trying to convince. Uh, Tyler and Burnham to stay he puts his hands on like the sides of their heads and kind of like <laughs> gently strokes their ears a little bit Yeah. <laughs> um, okay like I said I've been watching a lot of DS9 and <laughs> I, I know where you're going <laughs> yes that is where when when uh, a, a, a person of the religious um, well not even just religious it's basically a person of faith um, for the um Bajorans. Bajorans, thank you. Um, agreed to another person, they they kind of hold their ear in order to um, interact with their pa, which is, you know, your spirit or your chi or whatever. And I didn't think about, like, I, I put that down in my notes to ask about, is he now kind of enlightened? And he can maybe kind of, you know, like, like the truth crystal, can he maybe, is he more sensitive to, to another person's pa um, and I also didn't even think about the name of the planet, the Pavo. Ah, is, is yeah. it, is that, is there a relation? Because they seem to be kind of, you know, beyond space and time in a way too.
4: I have to, yeah, I have to think it, there's no connection. Know. Probably not.
3: Yeah.
4: <laughs> because,
2: but I yeah, pr- thought, Probably not, but that is interesting because I don't think that they've, at this point in history, they don't know the Bajorans yet, or the Bajorans are not uh, a big
3: part of uh, no of their no. But that doesn't mean that this race hasn't encountered the Bajorans,
4: right? Yeah. Yet the the non corporeal aliens who <clears throat> serve as the prophets to the Bajorans have been doing so for thousands of years, and they do that from the wormhole, from outside of our plane of existence. So, to have a species that resides on this one singular planet that happens to have a name similar to the uh, the spiritual life force of the, of the Bajoran people, I think it's just a, a coincidence brought about by uh, po- Me watching a, too po- much DS Nine. A poorly researched name. <laughs> I think whoever came up with the name for this planet and these aliens didn't run it through the what what I would call the memory alpha litmus test.
3: <laughs> well, they, I don't I don't feel that they necessarily have to. And like I said, like the the whole name of the planet or the species, I I didn't really think about, but I, but it did occur to me when he was kind of touching their ears in that way. If there is something to the paw and and the ear being an access point, I was I was wondering if he was in tune to that.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I I could I could definitely see where you're coming from.
4: Yeah.
2: When you started talking about stroking the ears, I thought you were going to go with the Ferengi. which <laughs> <laughs> which which always always disturbed me watching Deep Space Nine because it's obvious that their earlobes are their testicles and they're they just,
3: stroke their ears a lot. They love
2: having them stroked. Yeah. And I'm like, you're <laughs> and Rom, you're Rom like to sit around and just stroke. Yeah, he just sit around and stroke his own ear, and like that's nasty, dude. <laughs> like, well, well
4: yeah. Quark, Quark would, do, to be fair, Quark would do that more than Rom would. Quark just standing there thinking about something would just kind of idly stroke. <laughs> Is it now? Yeah. Now how how suave and and charming and likable am I going to seem if every time I come up with a good idea I just kind of reach down, scratch, scratch, <laughs> scratch, 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 scratch? No, that's not appropriate. Right. We should not. We should not be so accepting of that from Ferengi. To just right there in public behind the bar, you serve glasses with those hands, Quark. Come on.
2: <laughs> and, de- and don't force the women that work for you to stroke it either. <laughs>
3: <laughs> or be naked,
2: because that's, he because he did that cool. with the Dabo girls. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Hey, I, I, I apologize, apologize for the time. We tangent. went a, we went in a weird direction <laughs> there.
5: <laughs> let me uh, let me ask another question here, Sean, about Saru. Okay. So uh, would y'all agree Saru kind of seems like he's uh, always kind of in the state of fear and always kind of like running, uh, especially since that uh, on his planet, he's a uh, he's the prey, so to speak. Right. So he's kind of always constantly living in a state of fear. Would y'all agree with that?
4: Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah, well he said that he said that in this episode. He's he he, he always he has never known a moment that he wasn't afraid.
5: So I guess my follow up question is so for the first time in Saru's life, does he get a feeling of calmness? And maybe that's why he's upset that it was taken away from him. Because for the first time in his life, he is not living in this, like Sean says, constant Ooh. state of awareness and fear. So the I, pa- the I Pavlovians think, think so. really calmed him and chilled him out a lot.
4: Yeah, that's so. it, that's exactly the sense that I got. And um, uh, to Doug Jones' credit, I think he sold it so incredibly well—not just in their last moments on the planet before beaming out, but in in sick bay when he was explaining it to Michael. And you know, anyone who has ever essentially, especially you know, people like us who have been you know sci-fi fans our whole lives, um, uh, put yourself back to when you were in high school and every day. You had to deal with the people in high school who didn't look kindly upon, uh, you know, nerds and geeks and sci-fi fans and all that. And uh, You're going to feel like you are you know, constantly being stalked by, by predators every day in high school and pretend that someone came and just for one day said, you're the person in school that everyone looks up to. You're the person in school that everyone admires. You don't have to be scared of any of these students bullying you or talking down to you. Because of who you are, but tomorrow, it's going right back to the way it was. Right. Anyone who has been in that situation, or you know, people these days, uh, listen to you know about what half of the podcasts that are out there right now that uh, let let's say fall on the on the left hand side of the political spectrum, and listen to how they talk about the current administration today, and that's the sort of feeling that they have is the way Saru feels all the time. Well, imagine that everything was great for a day, but tomorrow it has to go back to the way it was. And it, that's it, it's, it's, a, it's a frightening concept. And to see that play out, especially through all the makeup that Doug Jones wears every week, to see it still so clearly on his face that he, for a moment, finally felt peaceful, and he's never had that before, and now he knows that he's never going to have it again.
3: When he beamed, when they beamed off the planet, that was, uh... He was devastated. Yeah. Like, we, I was watching with my wife, we'd be like, No! Oh, poor... Oh, man, you felt it. It hit you in the hard Feels."
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. The only thing that would have sold it more for me is if, you know, as the transporter beam was engaging, just one last desperate scream. Not just a, you know... He he was pleading a little bit when he said no no please, but if they if they had let him just punch it with one screaming desperate cry of please, that would have uh, just been no oh, that would have destroyed.
3: On on after track, uh, I think they were they said that during those scenes he he was actually crying under the makeup. Like, so, like, he's crying under the suit, but you can't see it, and it's, uh, but you, like, it It definitely comes through.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they, and then they finish it off by letting us know that he couldn't, he was crying, but he couldn't blow his nose. <laughs> 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 it's like, so, yeah, I'll bring that down a little bit. <laughs> about that part. Thanks, Sean.
4: So the, the, hey, did, did the, I tell uh, you, Sean, did I tell you that Doug Jones liked uh, one of my tweets that I that I tagged him in no, the other uh-huh. week? Cool. <laughs> um, I, th- I think I might have been on a show with you recently when I mentioned that uh, I have I have a little toy here in my office um, from long ago when uh, the McDonald's Happy Meals had little toys for their late night mascot called Mac Tonight. Do you remember that guy? <laughs> oh
3: yeah, yeah, the big moonhead.
4: Yeah, yeah, the guy with the big yeah, crescent right. moon with the suit, and he you know at the piano. He's singing and dancing. That was yeah. Doug Jones' first job in Hollywood.
3: Holy crap! That was Doug Jones. That's awesome. Really. Yeah.
4: And
2: has he has he ever played a character where he wasn't in heavy makeup? <laughs> Sometimes, I'm, but yeah, not usually.
4: Not often, no. But um, yeah, I I had taken a picture of that toy. I put that toy on my. Dad- Desk, and i'm peeking up over the edge of my desk so it's just my eyes in the top of my head and i'm staring at that car it's a little red car with mac tonight in there and i took a picture Mac <laughs> Tonight. And, and and i tagged right. it i tagged it on instagram as um you know i have i have doug jones in my office but not in the way that star trek discovery fans would expect and i tagged at actor doug jones and i sent it out on instagram which cross posted twitter And the official Twitter account for Doug Jones gave it a like. Literally no one else gave it a like. (laughs) But still, he gave it a like,
3: which I thought was kinda cool. That's the one you need. If nobody if if you're only gonna get one, that's the one you want.
4: Exactly.
2: Yeah, and I laugh because there's a guy there's a guy named Doug Jones that's running for Congress here in in Alabama. (laughs) Every time I see the commercial, I was like, Doug Jones is running for Congress, really?
4: We should photo. We should uh, Photoshop the, Abe Sapien into his campaign ads.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs>
2: so the uh pa, the Povins or Povins, Povins. um uh, yeah they they uh Michael Burnham asks them to you l- use the crystal to help them with the with the Klingon war to help them win the war, something along those lines.
3: Well, yeah, go, go ahead.
2: Oh yeah, so they interpret that as in. Call the Klingons to come here. <laughs> well, because she, th- she. So we can
3: talk to them. <laughs> she, that's how she pitched it. She was like, that's what you're all about, right? Peace and harmony. Help us in this mess. Help us, help us with the Klingons. Genie Wish. Genie Wish. Yeah. Genie-ish.
4: yeah. What, what she was yeah. trying to say was, help us to defeat them so the galaxy can have peace. What the Pavins right. heard was, help us make peace. Yep.
2: So the Klingons are on their way. All right, all right, I think they they actually did arrive last night, right?
3: Um, didn't
2: they no. didn't they say it, that there was a Klingon ship that was
3: a, that was approaching I, or something like that? I think it's approaching. I don't think they're there yet. They said it's coming in hot, but I don't think that, I don't think they've arrived. I, I'm
4: I'm I mean, not come, I'm not sure that they picked ship. up the the Klingon ship at all. I think they know that there's a signal going out on a Federation subspace band and a Klingon subspace band, and that's all they know. They know that the Klingons are being called by this planet. And that's think, where they left it.
3: I think Sean is all right. I think at the very end, they said that it's the it's like it's like way in the distance, but it's, it's oh, coming. Oh,
4: damn! Yes, you are right because Tyler was able to identify it as the sarcophagus. You are right. You are right.
2: Yeah, and Cole um, Cole says they're they're getting a signal from a planet called Pavo, and they're heading in that direction. And they get there if if they did get there by the end of the episode. I mean, they they got there pretty quick like they have their own spore drive <laughs> i guess black alert but uh but yeah so that's where we're left for uh next episode is that the the klingons are on their way they know where they are of course i'm assuming that that the captain's going to call black alert and they're going to spore jump immediately uh when the klingons get there but but it's going to lead into a there's going to be a big battle next week obviously
3: well, I don't know if they're going to jump because it like the it looks like they're going to try to like infiltrate the Klingon or or be invited over officially and then sneak around on the Klingon ship. So, they might I don't know, they might both kind of stay their hand for a while for you know, because they got their own machinations going on.
2: According to that scene that we got in after trek for next week's episode, um there's some reason that Lorca doesn't want Michael put in the harm's way at all, so she's his secret weapon for something. Right. And uh, we don't know exactly what his plan for her is, but he does. They request for uh, Ash requests for her to go with him over to the Klingon ship, and he says no, it's too dangerous. And she tries to talk him into, into changing his mind, and he's not having it. You know. So I don't know what's up with that, but. That's a that's an interesting uh, thing that's going to happen next week. Do you think that maybe the Klingons will take uh, Stamets since he's kind of the key to the Spore Drive?
3: Um, they'll probably
5: try. Yeah, that seems inevitable <laughs> at this point.
2: And what happens when Lorel and Ash are reunited?
3: <laughs> I'm uh, I'm really hoping that he's not uh, that he's not Vok and he's not a Klingon.
4: Mm. Either, well,
2: um, even
3: if he's not, even if
2: he's not Vok, um,
4: they have a history. She
2: has a thing. Right, for, she has right, a thing right, for Ash. Right. You know, she, she had a thing for him. So
3: uh, trying to get that Ash. Sorry, that, I'm sorry. Yeah. Tap that ash. Yeah, they, not
2: they're it.
4: either they're you, either man. gonna make they're out gonna or they're gonna start hitting each other or We're both at the same time, considering they're Klingons. Which
2: is the same. Time, same thing. Right. The same <laughs> thing. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> so so next week is the fall finale, and it's an episode titled. Into the Forest I Go, which they said on After Trek last night was, quote-unquote, balance of terror good. So, those are some high aspirations to look forward to, because Balance of Terror is one of the most famous uh, Star Trek episodes.
3: I just, honestly, I just don't want it to be another cliffhanger. And I fully expect it to be.
2: But I really don't want it
3: to be. Yeah. It
2: will be. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It will be. uh... I think... I think we'll get more answers than we did in this episode, uh, because they're gonna want to wet our appetite a little bit. They're gonna get, they're gonna answer something. I don't know what. They're gonna answer something, and then, uh, but it's gonna be kind of like Lost. We're gonna, we're gonna have more questions going out than we had, uh, than we had answers. That's just, it's,
3: it's, it's just a personal thing. I think I probably mentioned this before. I really just, I don't like cliffhanger season. Endings or mid-season endings. I know that they happen. I just don't like them. Uh, I would much rather, like you said, you kind of wrap up the story and, you know, lay the seeds for the next part as opposed mm-hmm. to just, you know, literally hanging off a cliff or whatever.
4: Now, there, there's going to be, I would say, between one to three major revelations because the the writers have to know that they've been laying so many mysteries so far in these eight episodes, that if we're going to go into a mid-season break, we need some answers. Because this is just too long to go with being so in the dark. They have to give us something, while at the same time laying out, here are the mysteries that are still going to persist in the second half of the season. Um, but I, I, I see where John is coming from, and I kind of wish that the big cliffhangers like this were not so ubiquitous when it comes to mid-season finales or season finales. Because it used to be easier to deal with big cliffhangers at the end of a season because once upon a time, we didn't have the social media apparatus that we do these days. So now, with modern television, you get a cliffhanger. You know you're not going to get a new episode for about two months. And that entire two months is filled with one half of the internet coming up with... dumbass (laughs) theories about what's going to (laughs) happen and the other half of the internet is smart enough to figure out what's going to happen so by the time you get these answers nothing is a surprise anymore because everyone's already figured it out shows can be as mysterious and clever as they want no show can be cleverer than the entire internet scrutinizing (laughs) your decisions if you have that many clever people online trying to think of what's going to happen they're gonna figure it out you can't keep a secret anymore so that's one of the reasons I, I wish that you could selectively turn off the internet more easily because so many TV shows, I, I know one of the big surprises for the upcoming CW crossover that's coming up because no one can keep a secret anymore. Thanks social media. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah. they And it's not just in TV. I mean, the, the, it happens with Marvel movies because they're very episodic. It's it, it's happened with Star Star Wars because after the end of the Force Awakens, we've got so many theories as to what's going to happen with Luke and Ray and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, I, I actively like it is difficult, like it is, it's tough to actually avoid because I don't even want the theories necessarily, like because uh, for example, the, the Tyler It's Vok. If if I weren't doing, if I weren't doing this podcast. I, I definitely would not be on as many boards as I am. And I don't even know if that would occur to me. Like, just on my own, in my little, um, you know, isolated pocket universe. I don't know that I would be thinking that. I'd be thinking he's off with the Klingon nuns or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, And it would be, if it turns out to be true, it would be an interesting surprise. I personally, right now, I am rooting that... Laurel really is trying to defect and part of the reason that she wants to defect is to reconnect with Ash, not because he's Vok, but because, you know, they do have a connection. And I think if this, if it really is kind of playing out the Cold War, defections make sense. And I think it would be interesting for her because we know that um, uh, Worf is the first Klingon member of Starfleet. But that doesn't mean he's the first Klingon that they worked with. It would be cool if she somehow joined the ship going into the next season. I don't know.
5: And we've seen this before with Spock being technically the first Vulcan, but then we later got an uh, Enterprise. To Paul was just this ambassador on the ship, right? So, right. So I guess there is some right, precedence right. there.
4: I, I'm still holding out hope that we'll get to the the end of season one. You know, the second half will wrap up, and they'll wrap up the entire Discovery storyline. And then uh, the 2018 to 2019 season will be an entirely different story, and an entirely different uh, time period. I would like for this new Star Trek presence on television to not necessarily stick with this story, because what well, we can get a maximum of ten seasons of the show, and then we're we're back to time periods and ground that we've already covered, and cool. we're going to have to we'll end up dodging the Enterprise for any season that happen after that. They can tell a one-season-long story, wrap it up, and be done with it, and then come out with a new Star Trek series in a new time period with a new ship, new crew, do a season of that, wrap it up, put it away, and then do it again. It can keep things fresh.
3: I don't think they have to do that. that... Just because, even if they are, even if we do cross over into Kirk territory, time-wise, timeline-wise, it doesn't mean that... You know, like I exist, I coexist right now with all sorts of other people that I have nothing to do with, <laughs> and they've got their story and I've got mine. So it's entirely possible that there could be another ship you know, in the in Starfleet doing its own thing, especially a ship that's as unique as Discovery, you know, sciency.
4: Well, and, and that's true enough, but three different Star Trek series have already proven that only one ship can have interesting things happen to it at <laughs> a time.
3: And they're always <laughs> named Enterprise. See, well... This so, is new, uh,
4: once this once is, we get is, 10 years is, down the road, once is, we, we get Star 10 Trek years show? down the road and Kirk is in command of the Enterprise, then we know that's the only ship that interesting shit can happen to. So Discovery's going to get really boring at that point. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I've got two, I've got two things in, in response to that. So, the first the producers and the creators and everybody have said they said before the season started that when they go into a season 2 it's not necessarily going to be just like another adventure on the discovery it'll have some it could have some of the same characters some of the characters may be gone you know they may kill some characters or whatever you may go into Season 2 and and, and Burnham and Saru and, and Lorca be the only survivors or, or the only ones that are the focus of Season 2. You know, that, that could be. My other argument is that as far as the timeline thing goes, I think that the main reason that they did not put um, this, se- this series in the future of Star Trek which we talked about this a little bit a couple episodes ago, the reason it doesn't take place after Voyager is because any story that they come up with, the fans are going to be out there saying, well, you know, Tom Paris did the same thing in this episode and this is how he got out of it. So why don't they just look in the records and find that out and go do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, if you put it in a time period that we haven't seen before and it's before all of that, then you have a little more leeway with your storytelling. So.
4: Right. But then it lends to to the problem that we already talked about, which is you said it beforehand, and yeah, you don't have to worry about, well, Paris did this before, why don't they look in the records? But now we have to worry about, well, Discovery did this before, why doesn't Picard just look in the records?
3: Yeah. Well, Dis- yeah, Discovery yeah. may be top secret and not in the records depending on what they did yeah, maybe no, maybe nobody knows about the discovery
2: maybe the discovery it belongs
4: discovery to section erased from the 31 <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they maybe they cross over into the Kelvin universe in the finale
4: <laughs> uh. <laughs> bite your tongue
2: <laughs> but but this uh, this book that I'm reading the uh, <coughs> uh, the novel that I'm reading Captain Pike is a big is a big character in it I mean the enterprise is in this book. Has a big part of the story, and Captain Pike and Spock are main characters in the story. So, it's really an interesting book. And you know, if you like Discovery, if you if you like Star Trek novels, you'll probably like uh, like this one. And it's called Desperate Hours, and um, and we're gonna give away a copy at the end of the season. So, uh, anybody that leaves us comment on SoundCloud or iTunes or Facebook or or sends us a voicemail or a text message or whatever. Um, I'm going to put those names into a drawing at the end of the season, draw one name out, and that person's going to win a copy of Desperate Hours. So so after the fall finale, Discovery is going to take a break for the holidays. A lot of fans don't like it. I said a few minutes ago that I kind of understand why they're doing it. Uh, We're going to take the same break. Uh, We could keep doing the show i had a a fan of the show ask me a couple weeks ago if we're going to keep doing the show during the break i don't think that we have enough to talk about we've only got eight episodes to or at the time we'll have nine episodes we've only got nine episodes to keep talking about i don't think there's enough to keep doing a weekly show when there's no new episodes coming out so we're going to pause uh, until they come back in january and if you want to hear us keep talking about science fiction type stuff you can come listen to our other podcast over at CosmicPotato.com. dot com. We do Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast, and I'd love for you guys to come and check that show out. We talk about everything over there. Uh, I just released episode 60, 69, dude, uh, this week. No, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> edit that out, please. It was our, it was our, uh, <laughs> our Mad Scientist episode uh, that uh, John and Scott and I did. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and I just released that. And I also do another podcast, a Star Trek-related podcast called The Prime Direction. It's kind of sort of on hiatus right now because of this podcast, but uh, there are 18 episodes out there, and I'm going to be doing another one uh, later this month. So go go and check those out. They're they're over at CosmicPotato.com and iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and all those places. and Uh, As far as this podcast, you know what, before I get into saying goodbye to everybody, I wanted to read a little bit of feedback that I got on uh, Facebook. So, I posted on Facebook last night uh, just what did everybody think uh, of episode 8. And uh, Lainey Boylette said, Captain, that's an Easter egg. And then also said, Laurel's choices constantly confuse me. Hopefully she'll make sense on a rewatch. Uh, Carlos Carmona said, We learned that Saru can be a badass if he wanted to. Uh, Lainey Boylett also said, I, I've had a thought. Could Frake's mirror mirror episode be a leap forward? Uh, yesterday's enterprise with Tilly as captain. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then our friend, uh, Bulent, uh, Bulent, if I'm, I, I, he told me how to pronounce his name. I think I'm saying it right. Bulent Bingo, uh said, I think Stamets' connection to the mycelium network goes through time and space. He's seeing things uh, in there, like Captain Tilly, the planet. He said the planet Parvo. <laughs> the planet, the planet Parvo is uh, is so cool, but I don't think we got enough of an intro to it and how the Feds knew about it. The opening battle was excellent. So how did how did we know so much about this planet if there's nothing there? Uh, we we didn't know that these fireflies were there, I, but we knew all about this crystal tower. Well,
3: they they <laughs> they picked up like the harmonic resonance or whatever, and and they were like, um, this will make a good. This should be able to beam out the signal that we want. Yeah, that makes. Sense. Here's I, I think. I mean, I guess we'll find out next week. I, I can I can really only see this going like I guess one of three ways. Either the, the either either the Klingons and the humans aren't really going to be allowed to like destroy each other. I mean, obviously we see them fighting, but they might it might not be able to make it permanent because the planet won't let them. Or they'll destroy the planet. Which I'm really hoping it's not going to happen, but I think might happen. Um, or you know they'll blow up the Klingon ship. So I'm assuming they won't blow up the Discovery yet, like permanently. Because you know they <laughs> they blew it up like sixty-something times last time. But I mean like yeah for real. Well, six. they
2: kind of got the whole the whole show is named after the ship, so
3: <laughs> that's what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, and I I don't I don't know that I would be. Satisfied with two of those, <laughs> but I mean, we'll see. Like, obviously, depending on how well it's written, you know, we'll see. Scott, Jeff, you guys got anything to add?
4: Yeah, I, I got nothing. I, I've I've been too busy leaving comments on iTunes and Stitcher because I want that copy of Desperate Hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna read <rate> Desperate
2: Hours. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, as far as this show, it's on Simply you, you 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 probably all know that, but Simply Syndicated also has tons of other podcasts that you should go and listen to. Uh, Rick has uh, Starbase 66. Uh, Rich and uh, and Rick and a couple of others uh, also do the Movie News Show, which is coming up on 100 episodes Woo! in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots and uh, The Little little Pot of Horrors. All kinds of stuff like that. So go over to simplestindicated.com and download some of those podcasts and check that out. Uh, and you can find them all on uh, iTunes as well. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we have a page called Fans of Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show where the the people that listen to this podcast can get together and talk about the episodes and, and talk about uh, all their ideas of what may be going to happen in the, in the series uh, going forward. You can send us a voicemail or a text that we can use on the show and you can send it to the phone number is uh Erico 642 8380 and uh of course your message rates and long distance rates may apply but Bobo hate TOS. Uh, that's good.
3: Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Bobo hate T O S.
2: That's the phone
3: number. <laughs> the first and the last O's are zero. Bobo right. Bobo hate TOS. Well, Jeff, thanks for being here tonight.
5: Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh Sorry, I didn't contribute more, but uh, I love the show, and uh, you know it's uh, it's always great listening to y'all guys dissect, and it helps me enjoy it even more.
2: And uh, Scott, thanks for being
4: uh, here. It, it, it was a bunch of fun. I appreciate it. And uh, you mentioned that uh, simply syndicated movie news is going to be having its hundredth uh, episode in a couple weeks. Um, for people who have been listening to that uh, for the past several months, uh, but didn't start at the beginning, um, might not be aware that I was on that show from the point that it started uh, for uh, m- maybe about the first year of the show. Maybe a little bit less. But uh, I will be coming back for the 100th episode. So if you hated this episode of this show, uh, <laughs> you might want to avoid the 100th episode of, of Movie News.
2: <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> and uh, John, thanks for being here. Yeah, man. all right guys uh, make sure you join us next week as i said we'll be talking about the fall finale which is titled
1: into the forest i go and we will talk to you then thank you for joining us for simply syndicated's discovery after show your feedback is welcome Leave us a comment and review on iTunes, or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. I, I didn't
5: want to <laughs> uh you know I didn't want to plead this on the podcast, but Sonequa Martin Green's a native Alabama where me and Sean live. Is is anyone else here from Alabama? I'm I am.
2: John's from Alabama, okay. but he doesn't live here anymore.
5: I'm really pissed and upset. Like I kind of feel like the state of Alabama, or something needs to do something to honor her. Okay, I don't know. I mean, that's so a very really good point. We've never ever, and like I can't, I, I can't think of this off the top of my head. But we've never had him from the state of Alabama be like a main player on Star Trek. There might have been, you know, like some brief native make a cameo or something, right? But uh, I don't know. Like, I'm really upset that uh, that they didn't. Uh, <laughs> that the state hasn't done more to honor. And I'm hoping over the holidays, maybe like she's from Russellville and maybe they can have a parade or something for her. Do
3: Christmas you think do, do you think if like um Alabama nerds mounted a campaign like she, like she might come to AwesomeCon next year? Uh I'm not style Awesome AwesomeCon. I mean um, Magic City. Con. Magic City. Sorry. Con. <laughs> awesome <laughs> con is, is what we have up here. If
5: it doesn't yeah, interfere Magic with City. shooting schedule, I mean, you know, why not? I mean, she's from here. She's a University of Alabama grad, so you know, I also kind of feel like uh, you know, being in Alabama, you can't escape football, since it's, it's, Alabama football is always on CBS, I kind of felt like they missed a big boat too when they were promoting Star Trek. Not to mention the fact that she was an Alabama grad. Like I they, pro- from-
3: yeah, I, I didn't know
5: she was from Alabama. And
3: yeah, I know they, they they shot um they shot Walking Dead in, in Atlanta. Where, where do they shoot um, um Star Trek?
2: They shoot Star Trek mostly in uh in California and some of it's in Canada. Um, but, and I did know that she was from Alabama, but I had forgotten it until Jeff just said that I, I tweeted her trying to get her to be on the show, but you know, she ain't, she ain't returning my calls. Typical. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, she's ghosting me, man. Uh, Try
4: try for Doug Jones. (laughs) Just include a picture of Mac tonight.
2: Yeah. 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 But uh, but yeah yeah I mean I I'd, I'd love to uh, that that gave me an idea for when when you said that that gave me an idea for an episode of Cosmic Potato if uh, whoever the guests <laughs> are for uh, for one particular episode uh, everybody on the panel just talks about the famous people that are from their state.
3: <laughs> uh, if I recall correctly, you, you actually did that already. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what the episode was, but like that was like that was like the running. General. I
2: only talk, I think I only talked about I only talked about one famous person, and uh, and it wasn't, it, and it was Linda Hamilton, and she's not from Alabama, but she 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 comes
5: to Alabama quite a bit <laughs> because she has family that lives. here. Well, in Alabama, all we but, have is uh, athletes. We actually have someone from the geek culture now, you know. So that's uh. So
3: you well, know, we have some comedians too. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. They got the well, you know, Wood, Warwood Warwood Juniors uh, from Alabama, I think. Yeah. You can't forget about Jim
2: Neighbors. I mean.
3: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's been a minute.
2: Courtney <laughs> Courtney Cox is from uh, Alabama. That's right,
4: yeah, Birmingham. We've got famous. I, I've got the current people. Secretary of Education, no. but I don't know if that's really a plus. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah.
3: Famous people from that's Alabama. The, hey, that's Hank. Famous people from Alabama. Jeff Sessions. Just Hank. kidding.
2: Hank Aaron, <laughs> Hank Aaron was from Alabama. Nat King Cole was from Alabama. Uh, right, we need
3: some uh, like 21st uh, century people though. Let me click on this, uh, yeah.
5: But geek culture, uh, we have someone
2: Harper at the Lane.
3: forefront. That's that's yeah, my whole Jim
2: Neighbors, Rosa Parks, <laughs> George. Okay, Watts. All right,
3: okay, all right. <laughs> if there's a 19 in front of that year reference, then it doesn't count.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I need to be on Wikipedia. This is just some random site and go to wikipedia
5: uh i'll tell you who, uh, who's also a birmingham native, native guys is uh y'all know who walton goggins is actor uh vice principals yes justify yeah you know he's got yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. if
3: we do a he was he was on my list for the next um that guy from that thing episode because mm-hmm. he's like all yeah. over the place
5: he's got a true hollywood southern accent i mean a true like legit not like the hollywood eyes where they like do this fake he's got like the legitimate like that's how we talk in alabama
3: Right, yeah. like him. Yeah, I really, I really like him. I think I, the first time I, I can It was uh, Justified, I think.
5: Yeah. Also, he's in Sons of Anarchy. If y'all ever liked that show, which was a great show.
2: So Charles Barkley is from Alabama.
5: Yeah, we we got the athletes <laughs> covered. Like I said, it's geek culture that that is all got me all fired up about Senegal Martin Green.
2: Lucas Black is from Alabama. Um, let's see. Of course, there's a lot of NASCAR drivers.
4: Some of these people, I don't even know who they are.
5: <laughs> They're not really.
2: Chairman Cap- Capote was
4: from- <laughs> I've never felt more like a northerner
1: than I do right now. <laughs> <laughs>